again, church, thank you. Thank you for the past couple weeks. With that said, I've had two weeks of rest. Last week, I sat around, and I was, like, twiddling my thumbs the whole time. I'm like, okay, I'm ready to do this. I'm, like, I, I cannot sit in this house any longer. In fact, I told Wendy that Friday night. I'm like, are we just going to sit here and watch TV, seriously? Like, I, I just, I, I don't want to do that anymore. I am ready to go. And so what I can tell you is, over the next few months, and, and not, nothing is formal yet, nothing is announced, but there are some exciting things that are going to be happening in this church. And most I'm excited for is what we're doing in missions, in our missions giving. This is an exciting thing, church, where we are talking about potentially by the end of the year. And I don't want to speak too soon, but yet I kind of do, where we, we could raise close to thirty-five dollars to $40,000 for missions. When I was a kid, 5000 was the goal. And we could do, I'm not doing the math right now, Steve. I'm not doing the math. But we could do we, eight times. Yeah, we'll, we'll make it easy. I was going to do a percent, and that, it was just going to get ugly. But uh, we could do so much. And here's the thing, church. It's recognizing that the kingdom of God is not just about what's going on in this room. And so we're saying, you know what? We want to send our money out to people who are in other parts of the world doing a great work. And church, again, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that. It's been great. But I want to finish out our David series. And I'm going to finish this out in a way that I have never finished it out before. But starting next week, we're doing an eight-week series on the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so I'm, I'm really excited about that. But as we focus on this last week of David, I want to remind you what the prophet Nathan spoke over David when David confessed sleeping with Bathsheba. If you would turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 10 through 14. 2 Samuel 12, verses 10 through 14, I read out the New Living Translation. If you're on an electronic Bible, let's go ahead and begin. From this time on, this is, this, is, this is God speaking through the prophet Nathan. From this time on, your family will live by the sword. Everyone say sword. Because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord, by doing this, your child will die. Now we read about this, and we read about the consequences that David faced for his actions, which last time I preached, and we talked about David and Bathsheba, clearly his actions were very deceitful. And from this point on, David's life was a battle. It was just a constant battle after battle. In fact, you could even say most of the rest of David's life was spent in lament over his sin. 
and over his family, over things that had happened. David eventually has a son. His name is Absalom. Absalom was a young man who desperately wanted to be king. He even tried, and he was successful with some, to sway people to follow him instead of his dad. And so he, he won favor with people, and he started this great assembly of people against David. And David, at, at a period of time in his life, had to run and hide. Eventually, in battle against David's men, Absalom died. And I want to read that for you in 2 Samuel 18, 31 through 33. It says, Then the man from Ethiopia arrived and said, I have good news for my lord the king. Today the Lord has rescued you from all those who rebelled against you. What about young Absalom? The king demanded. Is he all right? And the Ethiopian replied, May all of your enemies, my lord the king, both now and in the future, share the fate of that young man. The king was overcome with emotion. He went up to the room over the gateway and burst into tears. And as he went, he cried, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Let's pray. Lord, your word, it, there, there are times it is confusing. God, there's times where it's challenging and it, it, it can cut to the heart. And Lord, I pray that all of us have an openness with you, Father. That we can openly dialogue with you. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Pretty much from the moment David decided to sleep with Bathsheba, his life was marked with suffering. The very moment he decided to do that. And what I have decided, as, as I look at our lives in general, it is the rare exception that we don't relate to or have suffering in our lives. Amen? So I have determined that suffering is a part of of the human experience. And David, he experienced much of it. Now, we can go back, and, and we're, we're going to very quickly. David loses the baby that he had with Bathsheba. In 2 Samuel 12, 16 through 19, it says, David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with him, but he refused. Then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill, they said. What drastic thing will he do when we tell him the child is dead? When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead, he asked? Yes, they replied, he is dead. From that moment on, David went back to worshiping God, but his cries out to the Lord were both over the consequences of his sin and hoping to change the Lord's mind. David openly said that. I am, I am lamenting, I am fasting, I am praying so that I might be able to change God's mind. Then another significant thing that happens in David's life. You know, David had many wives. 
he had a son named Amnon. And Amnon, in 2 Samuel chapter 13, raped David's daughter from another wife, Tamar. And her full-blooded brother Absalom finds out about this and ends up killing Amnon over this. Now David's family is being torn from within. And I want to read you 2 Samuel 13, 36-39. It says, They soon arrived weeping and sobbing, and the king and all his servants wept bitterly with them. And David mourned many days for his son Amnon. Absalom fled to his grandfather, Talmai, son of Amahud, and king of Geshur. He stayed there in Geshur for three years, and King David, now reconciled to Amnon's death, longed to be reunited with his son Absalom. So here, Absalom comes back after three years. They are reconciled. Everything seems good. And then Absalom starts desiring what his dad dad does. He, he wants to be king. He sees that his dad is not what he considers the perfect judge. So he's thinking, I can be better at this. I can do this. And so Absalom started to rebel against David. As we already read and discussed, eventually his rebellion takes him to death. And David is again left in turmoil. I read all these stories, and everything I talked about David up to this point, it seemed like David, he was that perfect guy that nothing could touch him, that everything he did, the Lord blessed him in, and God was always providing and taking care of him. And clearly, now his life is marked by suffering and pain. And it's easy for us, when we try and compare and contrast our lives to those in the Bible, it's easy to ask questions like, where is God in my suffering? Looking at David, David experienced grief. He was described as a man after God's own heart. He'd clearly been led by God for most of his life. And now all of a sudden, he is experiencing all this pain and suffering. And so it is easy for people in the church to conclude, well, the Lord left him. God turned him over to this. God doesn't favor him. Those are things that seem so easy for us to say. Yet David in his old age, check this out. David in his old age in Psalm 146.1, he says, Praise the Lord, let all that I am praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God with my dying breath. We read that, and, and there is a huge contrast in my life compared to David when I read that, because so many of us in our pain and suffering make God an enemy because of our worldly problems. It's like, no, because of all of these things happening in my life, God, I've been serving you. I've been faithful to you. I've done this. I've done that. I go to church every week, and we come up with all these reasons, and all of a sudden, we are making God an enemy because of worldly problems that happen to us on a regular basis. And David, going through all this, could still exclaim that he would serve the Lord until his dying breath. And I do believe that suffering is a part of the human experience, particularly that of the believer if you read the New Testament. 1 Peter 5.9. Peter just got saying that the, the, the enemy, the devil, 
prowls around like a roaring lion. Now listen to what he says in 9. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In 1 Peter 3, Peter says it's better to suffer for doing the right things than to suffer doing the wrong things. And so what I want us to do, something that we need to get through in order for me to get on with this message and what I really want to say today, let's erase from our mind that suffering is only a sign of doing wrong. Can we do that? Can you guys be in agreement with me on that? That when you're seeing another brother or sister in the church suffering, that you're not going to look at them, well, clearly they're doing something wrong. Doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. And so let's accept that suffering is a part of the human experience and our suffering is an opportunity to connect with a living God. So as we're reading this today, what I'm seeing is with each and every time David went through one of these experiences, he, he lamented. Have you guys heard that word before, lament? There, there's a whole book of the Bible about lamenting. It's called Lamentations. And I believe that lamentation is a godly response or a godly expression that we do unto God. And David understood the purpose behind lamenting. The Webster's definition of lamentation, the passionate expression of grief, or sorrow. Besides David, Jeremiah wrote the book Lamentation. Jeremiah was weeping over the state of Jerusalem after the death of King Josiah. Nehemiah lamented over Jerusalem after 90 years of it not being rebuilt. Job lamented as represented by his sackcloth and ashes. Jesus lamented in the garden in deep grief over mankind and the work that he needed to do on the cross. Putting this in present tense, oftentimes we see people who are in mourning, grief, or going through any kind of sorrow. And especially if we're close with them, we might weep with them for a time, or we might, we might be beside them for a time, but I am telling you that if you are one of those people who's gone through that, Everything has a season and a purpose. And God does not want you to linger in that grief or sorrow. Are you hearing me? He doesn't want you to linger in that grief and sorrow. Job had three friends come alongside him during his time of lamenting. Those three friends weren't very helpful. Jesus invi invited uh, two disciples to go further with him and pray with him. David was surrounded by his closest advisors during this time. And I'm going to tell you that in each and every one of those situations, Jesus invited the disciples to come and pray with him. They fell asleep. David's advisors steered him down the wrong path, and they thought they knew better for him, but David knew that he needed to lament. Notice that it says when, when that the child died, he was lamenting over the consequences of his sin and what was going on and hoping to persuade God. But eventually the child dies, and he realized exactly what Nathan spoke over him happened. He got up, he cleaned himself, and he went and ate. 
There was a season for it. There was a time where David did that. And I believe that with each and every one of us, there are going to be seasons, there are going to be moments in our life where we need to lament. But the reality is that people lived in grief a lot longer than they should. And I think the reason is, is because we don't know how to properly lament over situations in our life. For instance, you might try and hold it together. You might make the appearance of being strong for the sake of someone else or the stronger for other people. And so you're bottling it all up or you're saying, okay, there's a certain measure of grief that I'm okay with, but, but only a certain measure and I can't expose too much or I can't allow myself to get into all these emotions. Because, and let me tell you what that is. That's our pride. Okay, church, are you hearing me? That's our pride and our humanness. We convince ourselves that we can be strong through this time. And it's a sign of strength. But what we don't realize is what we're doing in that pride and that sign of strength, we are holding back a complete dependency upon God and that need for intimacy with Him. Are you hearing me this morning? This is probably not what you were expecting when I came back. But through the course of my life, if there's one thing I've learned to do, it's to properly lament. And it's come at some high cost. Because I've gone through depression. I've gone through periods of my life where I either laid on the couch and cried and then went to bed and did the same thing, got up, went to work, and just repeated over and over and over again. Or I had to learn to properly lament. When God took away David and Bathsheba's firstborn, the scripture says he cleaned himself up. And he went on to eating again. And I have learned that I need to completely turn myself over to God in my grief that he can take time to mend what it is that is broken and build me back up and be stronger. Besides my relationship with God, the next closest thing to me is my family. And it is that order. It's, it's, it's God and my calling and what he's doing in my life and then my family. And so when I was called to the church in Waterloo, I had, I had great hope for that church. I had great expectations. And we had gotten through a very rough period, 2013, 2014. And then 2016, it seemed like everything was turning around. I mean, things were going great. I could, I, I didn't have a single complaint. And then my youth pastor tells me that he and his family are moving to Minneapolis. We weren't a huge church at that point. But good things were really taken off. That same month, my children's director and her husband, who was one of my board members, said, we're moving to Kansas City, Missouri. That same month, another board member unexpectedly gets sick and dies. And this was a board member that he was, he was one of those guys that he was like the, the lifeblood of the church. And this was, he was one of the older guys that everyone looked to, everyone loved. He stood by the door, he greeted everyone, and he, just, he was just a tremendous guy. And all this stuff is happening in my life. And I can see myself steering back in that direction again, where I'm going to fall in that depression because like 
everything good seems to be wiped away in just a month's time. And I remember right as soon as Don died, I just broke for like two days. Just completely broke. Broken over Don going what seemed like too soon. Breaking over my, my youth pastor and his wife. Every, just everything with the church. And then I got done. I got on the other side of it. I, I prayed through it all. And, and the time came to do Don's funeral. And ironically enough is we moved my youth pastor and his wife up to Minneapolis right after the funeral. We left immediately after it was over. But I, I remember doing that funeral and one of my board members came up to me afterwards and he's like, I don't know how you didn't even cry through his message. I said, I've, I've done all the crying. I've done all the crying. I'm past it now. Let's move on. And the reality is, even in talking about this, we so desperately, we want to avoid these difficult moments in our life. You guys know what I mean. We want to avoid these difficult moments. And, and we, we would rather just suck it up and try and get through it and just try and muscle through these painful moments in our lives so that, so that we can be the example to other people. But what I believe is we must accept that is all universally a part of being in this world is that we are going to experience suffering and we better figure out how to get through it right away. Amen? We better figure out how to get through it. And the church's responsibility as we're going through it. Listen to Romans 12, 14, and 15. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. And by my examples I gave earlier, we know that we don't always do a very good job of it. But we need to make room for them to be able to do that. I believe that we need to lament in order to begin the process of healing. And what happens is that there might be something, there might be a situation that you need to lament over that took place decades ago that you haven't gotten over, that you've stored up some sort of resentment over. And the, the, the thing is, we can get scared of going into that realm because it might bring up some deep disappointments within us or a hurt that we have bottled up for so long and we don't want to revisit those things. But the process of lamenting, it reaffirms a complete and utter trust in God. And lament, I'm going to say this before I, I get into some finer points here. Lament is useless unless you do it properly. It's useless unless you do it properly. So I want to discuss real quick four basics of lament. And the first one is, lament talks to God about our pain talks to God about the pain that we are experiencing. Because, uh, let me tell you, when, when we are suffering, when we are hurting, it brings uh, confusion, there's an exhaustion that is coupled with it, and there's this pain. And those feelings, what it can cause us to do is not go to God, but it causes us to retreat from God. 
But God is also the one who knows our sorrows. Scripture says that Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. And so what lament does is it it, it prays through hardship, even if we have to let poisonous thoughts in our head where you might be angry or bitter against God, it's time to do business with him. It's time to just get to it. It's time to get it over with. And I want to read for you Psalm 77, 1 through 3. It says, I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. That moment right there feels so distant from God. Where the, the, the psalmist couldn't... couldn't define any better this distance, this separation that you feel from God, where you're shouting out, he's not there. It feels like he's completely unavailable, which is not the reality. But to properly lament requires that you reach out to God. If you're not reaching out to God in your suffering and grief, you're not lamenting. You've got to do that. Number two, and this could raise a few eyebrows. Complain. It's part of the process. Whether or not you know it. But here's the question. Are you complaining to the right person? Are you complaining to God? Or are you complaining to everybody else? See, here's the thing that I know. I know that God wants us to be candid with him when we are talking to him about what is wrong. Do you know complaining biblically brings to God, it brings your circumstances that don't seem to fit with God's character or purpose. See, our complaint should be when it seems like things in our life aren't lining up with what God's word says. It's like, hold on, God, this, this doesn't seem to fit your character. And then we can bring our complaints before God. And here's the thing that I know about God. God is going to respond. He's not going to ignore your complaints. And he, what he's going to do is he's going to open your eyes. See, I know that God is always in control. But there are times where we perceive that he's not. We believe that he's not. So we might be thinking that some injustice has happened against us and then lament what it does is it invites us to talk to God about that. And so it is giving you permission to verbalize the tension that is between you and the Lord. Listen to Psalm 13, 1 and 2. David says, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with, my, with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Now, I want to be very clear about something. Complaining is not you just venting a sinful anger. It's telling God what your struggle is. 
your struggle with connecting with him, your struggle on the circumstances and why it happened. And the more honest and open you can be, the sooner you're about to move on. Number three, ask for divine help. It's seeking more than relief, but it's desiring a deliverance that fits God's character. In church, we should even keep on asking when we're still waiting for that answer or it's delayed. Listen to Psalm 13, 3 through 4. It says, turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. So asking what it does is it affirms that God's promises, it applies to you. And Jesus teaches this. Over and over again, if you read Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus is imploring you to ask, seek, and knock, and the door will be open to you. If you read in Luke chapter 11, Jesus goes as far to say it's like the neighbor who goes to his neighbor's house at, at midnight and is knocking on the door asking for a loaf of bread. It says just keep on asking, keep on asking, and eventually he's going to get up out of his slumber and say, here, here's the bread, now leave me alone. Keep on asking. Because when we ask, that reinforces that trust that we have. And I, I want to say repeated requests make us hopeful for what God can do. It strengthens our resolve to not give up. I remember when, when I was a kid, if the church doors were open my parents were here and then they had you know Sunday morning service Sunday night service sometimes revivals sprinkled in between in there Wednesday nights and my parents also came to the church much earlier than most people do so my brother and I you know we'd want to bring things with us we'd want to be mischievous and you know do only the Lord knows I'll just say that and uh one, one evening, one Sunday evening, we were getting ready to come to church, and I remember asking my dad, and I don't remember what the item was now, I asked my dad if I could bring something, and he said no. And in my brain, it's like, why not? And so we get in the car, we leave, and I know how to complain, and I know how to do it well. And so I just start doing it, and eventually he is just steaming. And then it's like, no, we're, yeah, where's this coming from? We're, we'll go back, we'll get it. Right when I heard that, I'm like, oh no, I may have pushed too far. But what I learned was, I eventually got it, right? Careful, Gabe, there's only parts of this story that are good. Okay. With God, God's a good father. He's a good father. And if you trust and know that God is powerful, if you trust and know that he is able, by you continually asking, it's not that you don't believe, it's that you know he can do it. 
And so, God, I'm going to keep asking you because I know that you are able. I know that you can keep doing it. And guess what? Jesus even reinforces to do that because it is about our belief in God. And that leads me to number four, trust in God. Every other aspect of lament leads us to this point because what lamenting does is it helps us through suffering to make, uh, make the choice that I am going to true, choose to trust in God's purpose behind my pain. It leads us through sorrows that we can trust and we can praise him. Listen to, listen to David in Psalm 13, 5 through 6. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Every lament is designed to become a pathway to godliness in an imperfect world. So it should reinstill your confidence that God is trustworthy and he knows what's best for you. And lastly, and I'll try and be brief. One day, you and I, this world is going to end. We're going to move on up, be with the Lord in heaven. And heaven is going to be the end of lament. There's no need for it anymore. It's over. See, lamentation, it's a longing deep inside for better days or better things. And you and I, each and every one of us, we all want our lives to go smoothly, to see the blessings of God and to see how that's represented in our life. But oftentimes, what we perceive and the way God actually works is very different. Because when I say we long for better days, some of you are like, well, I just long for a better job. Or I long for a better car. Or I long for a good retirement. And so we're looking to better days, but we're looking at better days through the wrong lens because the better days that we should be looking forward to is an eternity with Him. Okay? And so that is the whole point of, of lamenting because we can't let our walk with God be focused on what He can do for you in this life. You can't, it needs to be about God's reward that awaits for you in eternity. So what I choose to do is I choose to cling to the promises that he has for me and say that's what I am laying claim to because as long as I am here on this earth, lamenting is going to be a necessary part because I am a very imperfect person trying to connect with a perfect God. That's the same with you. And the problem is, when we go through difficult things, you might have a problem seeing how God fits into that equation. But I want you to take this to the bank, that as long as there's still sin, as long as there's still a devil, there's going to be sorrow, there's going to be grief. It's going to happen. And so then lament, what it does is it becomes for us, it's a battle between flesh and spirit. At the end of the day, that's what it is. 
and there will be no need. I'm going to say it again. There will be no need for lament in heaven. No need. A couple of weeks ago, our Wednesday night class was discussing the verse in Romans 8, 26 that talks about the Holy Spirit making, makes these groanings inside of us that, that can't be uttered or verbalized properly. And, and we talked about how eventually one day we're going to be in heaven and that's not going to be a necessary ministry of the Holy Spirit anymore because those groanings, what it is, it's about a deep longing for God and one day we're going to be in heaven. That longing isn't going to be there anymore. It's going to be the culmination of everything we've prepared for. We're going to be standing before God. There's going to be no more grief or sorrow. There, there's not going to be a time for you to try and figure out how to God fits in any equation. Because once the glory of the Lord is shining on you, once his radiance is fully on you, your eyes are going to be completely open and you're going to think differently. See, some of you are sitting there thinking right now, man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God about this because I really want to understand. I really want to know this thing. Or when I'm in heaven, I'm going to struggle because I'm going to be thinking about all the people who are not there versus the people who are there. And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen when you get to heaven. The glory of the Lord is going to show so brightly. The radiance of God is going to be so great that he's going to be all that matters. And everything else is just going to completely wash away. And then you are going to realize that God was always all about you. He was always about you, and everything he did was for you, for the culmination of what's going to take place in heaven. That's what my God is about. Don't, church, lose sight of the goal. Don't lose sight of the goal. Don't get fixated on better days that are here on this earth. Because guess what? There's going to be suffering in those times too. There's going to be pain there as well. Sickness, pain, those things are worldly attributes. But heaven is reserved for victory. It's reserved for joy, peace, triumph complete restoration God's perfection see when we get to heaven the war is over it's over so you have your battles here on earth when we get to heaven the war is over I'm going to be uh, ending this message but uh, I want to tell you guys a story when we were down in Tijuana, there was a father and son team that, that joined us down in Tijuana. And they had just recently lost a wife and mother. She had passed away and it was unexpected. And his name's Dave and Dave had been, he'd been broken up and she, she'd passed away in January. And he had been broken up over this, and, and his son Brian lives with him, and they're, they're still going through all these emotions, and, and he, he was a chiropractor in, in Burbank, and he just said, I, I just can't move on. He's like, you know, everything's shut down here, so I, like, I just sit at home, and I can't get past it. And move, we do a thing with our evening devotions.
where we bring out a chair and we let guys who need prayer for anything sit in the chair and all the other guys just gather around them and pray, lay hands on them and pray. And I remember one night, Dave got up with his son Brian and he grabbed a second chair and set it beside the other chair and they sat down and he just broke. And all the men there broke with him. And you want to hear the cool part of this story. He gets home. A couple weeks go by. And he calls my construction director, who they go to church together. And he says, that was what I needed. So I was trying to be strong for Brian. I was trying to like just pick up the pieces and just work with this guilt. But he's like, I had been holding back. And so he just completely opened up and turned himself over to God. And that's when God could work. So, Brian, if you could come up and grab the guitar. And uh, what have you been holding back? What have you not taken time to properly lament over? What grief have you stored up in here? And God has not been able to, to, to help you move forward the way you need to move forward because you have not lamented in a biblical way. I'm telling you, today is an opportunity. That I can put into the box of how long your lamenting is going to take. But some of us harbor deep hurtful, painful things that we don't want to let out because we're trying to move on with our life. But I'm telling you, God can't move on with you the way that you need to move on until you've done business with Him in this thing. And so God is asking you to be vulnerable enough, to be open and sensitive enough that you can allow these things to come to the forefront, for those impurities to rise to the top so that he can scrape it off and refine you into who you need to be. That, church, is godly. That is godly. I want everyone to close your eyes. Bow your heads. some in here might be deeply hurt. You have suffered and you have found it hard to compare yourself to other people's situations. You might be experiencing a lot of pain or you maybe have tried to bury it but deep down you know it's there and you don't want to deal with it. I'm telling you today, God wants you open to dealing with it once and for all. So here's what I want to do. If that is you, I'm encouraging you to come up and kneel down at the altar. 
If there's anyone in here that would say, Pastor, I need to. Or do it at your seat. But I'm encouraging you right now to declare it's time for me to do business about this. If that is you, would you respond right now? As I said, it could be personal, so if you want to do it in your seat, I understand that this is just the beginning of a work. I know that this is a very deep issue. And so I want you to know, me, the board, other leaders in this church are open and available to listen to you, to help you through this. But if there's anything you can take away from today, God wants you to completely let it go. So if there's anyone here that needs to give anything up, I just ask that you lift your hands up to God and we're going to pray right now. God, you see these hands that are raised. And Lord, you know the difficulty. God, you know the brokenness in their life. God, I ask that, Lord, you will just open up this pathway that they can completely bring this before you, Father. Lord, that I know that you are a good God. I know that you're going to listen. I know that you're going to respond. And I know that you're going to work with them through this. But Lord, I pray that, God, we hold nothing back from you. But Lord, we be completely open so that you might do the work that you need to do, Father. Lord, and I know through that there's going to bring freedom. There's going to bring a peace to our lives, Father. And there's going to be a renewed hope and trust. So God, I pray that in our private times, that, Lord, we don't wait. We choose to get right to it, Lord. We choose to do business with you and not let these feelings linger in our lives. I thank you and praise you, Father God. Lord, you are so good. And may those whose hands are raised today, may they... Have a renewed joy and freedom in you, Father. And Lord, that you will show them how to lament through these periods of their life, God, that can be so painful so that we can walk more closely with you. I thank you, God, and I praise you for each and every individual in this room. And God, I pray that you will just release upon each and every one of them one of us, excuse me, a desire to help bring people to a place where they're fully experiencing you because you love us. You want us at peace. You want us focused on your kingdom. And you don't want us to be absorbed by the suffering. 
God, I thank you for the price your son paid. Lord, there is no suffering that can compare to that. And God, I choose to embrace that in my life. Lord, that you sent him for me. You sent him for everyone here, Father. And that, God, we can cling to that until the day you call us home. I thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said,